out for blood. In honor of Morbius, what familiar franchise is in need of a Jared Leto spinoff? Not Tron, because apparently that might still be happening. I'm Matt Patches. I, this is not a franchise, I guess. I misread your uh, question. But I'm still going with Kill List, one of my favorite movies. I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm into self-harm, so I'm, I want a sequel to Kill List starring Jared Leto as whoever's behind that whole symbol thing. How about that? <laughs> hey, it's me, David the Seven, and I think Dennis the Menace could come back with Mr. Wilson starring Jared Leto, the movie where he hits a kid. You know, I'm David Ehrlich, and one of the things I think about on a daily basis is, is who, the only casting issue that matters to me in modern Hollywood is who should play the villain in Paddington 3. And, and I go back and forth between a number of enticing names. Uh, the secret, of course, being you have to find a, a serious actor, or someone at least known for um, not quite this level of foolishness. And, and that's how you make it work. Um, I think Jared Leto, I'm not, he wouldn't be my first choice, but it would be interesting. And seeing him go method against cartoony. the CGI bear uh, could be fun. <laughs> Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room number 386. It's Pandemic 106 for the week of Wednesday, March 30th. And on that day in 1981, then-President Ronald Reagan was shot. Jeez. Damn. Almost. Well, he wasn't shot to death. Right, that's what the, hence the album. Yes, yeah. Um, he lived long I'm... enough to put guns in the hands of every American. Was that a, was that Hinckley who did that? In the name of Jodie Foster? What? I believe so, yes. Why is that right? That, that was Reagan? That would be a gaffe if I am just making this up. Uh, I believe <laughs> well, that's true. Don't worry, I don't think you're going to do the biggest entertainment gaffe this week. Whew! Um, yeah, this hey is like guys. purge week. You can do anything. That's right. For the these like seventy two hours we're living in, no one's paying any attention. Speaking of, uh, it's your three male hosts of Fighting in the War Room. Katie is uh, not here; she's recuperating from covering the Academy Awards uh, for Vanity Fair. She'll be back next week, and I'm sure have some thoughts. But uh, also, you could hear her on the Little Gold Men podcast if you need to hear uh, the the sanctioned Katie opinions coming from over there. Uh, but for us. Uh, we don't have any such uh, corporate overlords, but what we do have is a bunch of emails we haven't been reading for the past couple of weeks, and because we didn't get any reviews, understandable, we're not going to talk about Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes, because I'm going to read some emails. These emails are sent to fitwr.podcast at gmail.com, uh, and they're meant for like international reviews, so we'll start from one of those. Uh, this one comes from Frazier, who says, hello from Canada. I'm a little late to the party, but here's a brief response to the question about childhood traumatizing movies from an unambiguous Z- Gen Z kid born in 2004. Uh, I saw Coraline when I was five, and it shook me to my core. It was probably a combination of factors, including a fear of spiders, the twisted parental dynamic, and generally being too young, but it was only at age 12 that I worked up the courage to rewatch it and appreciate its brilliance. Speaking to Gen Z as a whole... 
I get the sense many of us were more scarred by strange and disturbing internet phenomena like Salad Fingers or Slender Man rather than movies. Anyway, great podcast. Enjoy hearing from all the hosts. Thank you for the humor and insight in this past year. I'm going to guess Frazier didn't see Coraline in its 3D theatrical no, release. I sure did. Yeah. Uh, I just want to say, was, I, I don't know what Salad Fingers is, but if it were literally. You don't know Salad Fingers? If it were literally just a man with salad fingers, I would already be terrified. You don't know salad fingers. It doesn't wow, need I was, to be I was creepier say, than that than just a man who has salad for hands. Salad fingers doesn't seem like a Gen Z thing to me. Because I, I mean, I watched salad fingers on the internet and was creeped out sufficiently. Maybe not as a kid. Maybe not as a little kid. But Dave, you, you know salad fingers, right? Salad fingers. Oh, yeah. I've even watched a couple videos on what did salad fingers mean that was like, you what know. What did it mean? Uh, Oh. oh man, he's some sort of like guy that died in the war and he's like haunted by certain spirits that, you know, he lost during that time. I I don't remember now, but there's a Salad Fingers mythology. I was deep into that. Flash cartoons were deeply in my wheelhouse. So. Yeah, love those things. Uh here comes another review. This one says, uh, you guys gotta stop talking about Titanic and the social network. Look, I know they are 30-something millennial touchstones, <laughs> but there's nothing left to say about these movies. Still giving you all five stars in spirit. Can't access iTunes. Love you guys. Been listening for years, but maybe it's time to kill your doll- Fine, darling. We'll talk about salad fingers from now on. I will make this solemn promise to the listeners of Fighting in the War Room. Um, really the only promise I feel as if I can accurately make, and that is that I will never stop talking about Titanic so long as I live and have air in my lungs uh social network i mean great movie but i don't really need to prattle on about it every week but there's always something to say about titanic i was just yesterday in the hours leading up to uh surely the greatest oscars of any of our lives um i was thinking about how this winter is the 25th anniversary of titanic and what kind of content can i possibly dredge up from the bottom of the ocean Mm. Stay tuned. I have no idea. <laughs> Could we be doing a, a Titanic Every Minute podcast? Patches, if you think that wasn't the first idea to pro- <laughs> pass through my mind, you were sorely mistaken. Could we at least do it on like Patreon and I, do it part of this and like well, profit my, my, for once? My idea the was a Titanic, a Titanic Every Second. So, okay. uh, you know, we had like several thousand episodes. <laughs> One perfect shot every frame. Every, every it's all right season two of one perfect shot is just every frame of the show of the titanic, yeah, every, every titanic <laughs> it will bankrupt <laughs> hbo max but it'll be worth it all right last one for this week uh this person writes in and says hey there love the pod just wanted to know what song is playing after the reviews i noticed it the last couple of episodes yes it used to be cuban pete in honor of uh desi arnez and uh, my love of him and i love lucy last we talked about the mask but now it's uh, Priest and Cole and I Sinai Kulso. Huh? It's a cover by a band called Tubring. Definitely uh, Google that uh, to hear the backstory of it. It has a fun backstory. But it's going to be sticking around until I find something else that entertains me. Speaking of, let's listen to that after I tell you to leave us a review on iTunes. If you're in the US, or if not, send your review to fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. Hit it, Tubring. You the coolin' man, you send you up. Freezing coolin' nights and nine twos up. Alright.
right, this week, we're going to deliver the final word on the Oscars. A lot of people have Wait, already has, commented has anyone else been about talking the Oscars. About yeah, I, I, <laughs> I'm a little chatter, but I'm here to tell people this is the final word on the Oscars. We're here to deliver it. The three men fighting in the war room. Uh, we're going to talk about the 94th Academy Awards. Uh, Wait, did we mention that Katie is, Katie, Katie is no, we did mention back yeah, from Katie, the show. Katie is gone. Katie was was taken in by the Oscars. She went into the belly of the beast. Actually, she didn't go to the ceremony, so let's not give her too much credit. She went to the Vanity Fair party for the Oscars, which, I, you know, it's a big deal, but it's not the Oscars. Anyway, Katie, we love you. I thought you did a good job on Little Gold Men, if you're listening. Uh, the, I listened to the episode in preparation for this to make sure we're not covering any of the same ground. Um, so we will oh, not good. be talking about any of We're the We're only talking about things. the live action short category <laughs> on the <this> show. <laughs> Let's deep dive into things people really care about. Um, yes, Katie, go listen to her Little Gold Men podcast because her colleagues were actually like in the room while it happened, as they say. Um, and that was interesting. But we're, we're, we have the outsider perspective. We're viewers. We're in step with the fans. Uh, as Vanessa Hudgens said, the Oscars are for movie lovers. You know, mm-hmm. um, these these <laughs> these are the ceremony. <laughs> and actually, I was thinking, David, a few weeks ago when we talked about some of the choices that were being made for this ceremony, you hoped that the Oscars could become the Super Bowl of movies. They should be a big deal. Um, and, and and by the end of this conversation, I hope we can kind of weigh in and, and figure out if, if, if it's on track. I mean, it's getting there. That, it's becoming that, the Super just, Bowl just of, to the, clarify, of movies. <laughs> that assessment was in anticipation of this Oscars. It was not, yeah. um, it, it, it was Correct. a reaction to the choices that had already been made for this Oscars and were then were borne out in even dumber fashion than I had feared or thought possible. So I, I wouldn't expect a lot of uh, wiggle room in terms of my initial feelings yeah. about how this Oscars is going to go. But, but in, you, you, in want, future years, you want the Oscars to be a big deal. You want people to talk about them. So the, we're going to talk all about the Oscars. <laughs> you love the Oscars, and we're going to talk all yes, about the Oscars. Me, they call me David Oscars or like for a reason. <laughs> uh, and I, and I, I have a few talking points. I'm going to lead this conversation, boys. And the first question I have for you is, did you watch the red carpet? Did you look at the looks? Did you were you blown away by the fashion um, of the Oscars well, this year? This is a big these, part of it. These are uh, it's a complicated question because uh, I you did... were already wearing a jacket with no undershirt, much like Timmy Chalamet. <laughs> so you were kind of uh, it was a faux pas. <laughs> it was a Sunday afternoon. I don't know what else you're supposed to wear. Uh, I I was very much abreast of uh, what was happening on Timothy Chalamet's chest or not. Um, I got to see. What looked like very similar dresses between some of the actors. I can't remember exactly whom. I remember uh, Kristen. <laughs> they all look the same. How would you know? Um, I remember Kristen Stewart's uh, shorts. I mean, she crushed for it. Sure. Great look. I am not the f- source for fashion, but I thought she really killed it. Um, and of course, David Dan says, Deacon's, I like shorts. Uh, great. Uh, Dan, great Dan Deacon's the- uh, pyramid hat was awesome. But I did not learn any of this. Uh, you haven't seen Dan Deacon's pyramid hat? No, I'll have to Google. Oh, that. it was uh, iconic before the broadcast even started. Um, I highly recommend that you Google that. It looked like something a character might wear in Elden Ring. Um, but uh, I, I was not really. And one of the reasons I don't know who was wearing what is because I was not watching the show. 
Um, I was just, you know, glancing with one eye on Twitter what was going on. But I wasn't watching the show or the pregame for two reasons. One, I was watching the Ranger game. Two, more importantly, Spite. Uh, I refused to watch a live sh- a show that had a Chiron saying live on it that I knew for a fact had been pre-recorded while Oscars, legitimate Oscars, were being awarded. And I was having to learn about them over social media and watching... Uh, you, know, you didn't have to learn about them over social video. media, to be clear. Yeah, but it's also yeah, you it's also you chose for the edited to do broadcast. It. It, it is a complete, you know, in, in an Oscars that is trying to bring the Academy and, and the stuffiness that has sort of traditionally gone with the Oscars to the modern world. It is completely, you know, antithetical at best uh, and bone dumb at, you know, I don't want to say worse, but in fact, um, to assume that the lion's share of the audience, people who are at all tapped into what's happening are not going to be learning about the winners of those awards from, uh, again, these great assumptions you make about the ceremony. I would reference our previous conversation on this. I mean, I, you seem to think that like people on Twitter who talk about movies in our circles are like representative of the masses. seems like a very confused point to me. This is the people on Twitter are not the audience or not um, the mass audience. Well, I mean, the, (laughs) The theme of this conversation, I fear, uh, is going to be, as it should, <laughs> that the sort of the divide between the Academy and what it represents and its failings yep. and so on, and the telecast itself, um, which is sort of the, the, the Academy's public face to the world every year. And uh, the, this, this Academy Awards had a deep disdain for cinema <laughs> and for the movies. <laughs> And for what makes them important in our lives, if they are, you know, to be said to be important for our lives. Uh, I, I thought it was a spectacularly misguided affair because not only did it, it, it's not that it tried to bring in this sort of fictional audience, like the centrist voter that uh, Democrats are trying <laughs> yeah. to court, you know, like, uh, it, it, but they What's did that so guy with the, the red ex- sweater who is the undecided right. voter who, uh, Ken, uh, Bone. Ken Bone, Ken Bone, um, where was Ken yeah. Bone last night? <laughs> But they did so at the expense of uh, of the integrity of the movies. I mean, there was a an obvious, palpable, like disdain, a, a spite towards uh, the not only just the movies that are nominated, but the aura around the movies in general. And this is why Vin Diesel didn't go. He's for the movies. It is why and the Oscars Vin last night go. was not. Um, yeah. I, you know, you could see it, you could hear it rather in the jokes uh, that were made at the expense of Power of the Dog. And it's, you know, know, I've seen it three times and only halfway through it. It was the seventh longest of the 10 nominees Um, and uh, wickedly entertaining movie to boot. Um, The the absurd. and Now, that could have been a joke about how boring it is, not how long it is. It it didn't play. Uh, But the the pot shot at the last duel that was sandwiched in there for no reason. Um, and just, you know, the general and what I loathe most about the show, it's general busyness, it's lack of form, it's lack of flow, it's just throwing darts at the wall with no respect, no interest in engaging what the culture is supposed to be around, like not just the culture, because I mean, the culture is evolving, it's changing in a lot of positive ways, but the reverence for what movies could do, the same reverence that Ariana DeBose brought to her speech um, and the power of, of what movies You're jumping all over here! I had a plan. I'm certainly not drunk jumping all over more than the show. I mean, I thought I really, you know, the Oscars are not something sacred to me. Uh, I know it would sound otherwise listening to this. Patches was sort of taking the piss earlier. Um, it's a necessary evil. 
in our line of work and also because it is really the last great incentive for people with money to spend it in the, in the interest of trying to make good movies. Um, and uh, and so I think it's to the positive if the Oscars can sh- shine a positive light on the art form um, and sort of help repudiate the idea, repudiate the idea that they are diminishing um, and, and push back against that. And the show that Will Packer and ABC put together it was all about honoring the movies that are constantly playing on TNT and have been for the past 30 years. It was, uh, even, even the Godfather and James Bond were done dirty right. and, and treated like fucking pre-roll ads towards the sizzle reels else. for the TBS new year's marathon or something. I, I mean, I just philosophically hated the show. And okay, hold on, hold on. Let's do it. Do I get to answer what I thought about the red carpet ceremony? Yeah, let's go way back here. And Dave gets to comment on fashion and the punk looks (laughs) of the red carpet. I had it on mute, which I think is how it should like always be. The worst thing about the red carpet ceremonies, I don't, uh, I, I, I also have, yeah, I don't agree. I don't agree that it's uh, meaningless because I think like a certain degree of like the glamour of it all plays up almost to the fact if there is a ceremony after it that honors movies, then the glamour is absolutely part of that. Uh, what I don't like is that um, we we keep having to ask uh, red carpet questions, Ugh. which personally as a journalist, I hated them. Uh, and I also still hate them as a viewer. There's never any substance there. Uh, the best thing you could possibly have is a gaffe, and uh, nobody wants to do that, so nobody wants to set... Last night they uh, were pulling a... questions out of a box, like I, I saw Billie Eilish, I had the sound on for Billie Eilish and Phineas, and they were just like, let's go to the box, who was the last person you texted? And I'm like, this is what we've this is what we've come to? I, I mean, we're not talking about the, again, we're not talking about the movies, we're not even talking about the looks, because I feel like that has been chastised where you can't talk about oh look at your beautiful straps and and legs and how you look in this like it's objectifying you and they've kind of driven that conversation away um because it went overboard so many years in a row um but yeah you kind of miss the the joan rivers of it all even or just like get someone on the carpet who's talking about anything of substance i definitely am with you i have to, I have to mute that i can't go yeah, so I feel like if, if we're dealing with the situation where they want to like give out some awards during that time, like like split screen it or something, the the audio. No, I mean is I think not that's, at all. Hold that's on. somehow even more insulting than what they actually did. Uh, I so think wait, they, presenting them live on TV with the audio of like in the, <laughs> muted in the background is uh, Hans Zimmer not being there to pick up best score while Billie Eilish is picking yeah. things out of a box. No, well, Hans I, Zimmer I, wasn't even there. To, I mean. Yeah, that's what he's saying. I think that I think that's fine. Uh, No, I mean, if they're not going to have the awards in the actual ceremony, but hold on, let's talk about this for a second. I know this was very controversial with people on the on the podcast, and we talked about it a little bit. But I really want to get the the takeaways from how it ended up playing because yes, it was a controversial decision to move. I think it ended up being seven of the awards. To the, to the broadcast. Hair and makeup, editing, I think visual effects, um, like a few of them. Sound design, sound, sound design, editing. Yeah. And, um, Short films. David, I know you were pretty passionate about this issue, and uh, Katie was a little defensive of it, that maybe it could, it could work. Um, I think Riz Ahmed actually won an Oscar off-screen for a short film that he made, uh, which was pretty cool. But here is the thing. What was cool about it, that he won these, it off-screen? These... I'm sure it was great. No, no, no. The... 
It was cool that Rizomet won the Oscar. Yeah. Not yeah. that he won. I mean, it Thank like God Rizomet wasn't here. Might, it sounds like uh, something but that he, a lot of people might want to have seen. Anyway. And they did. So this is the thing. All of the speeches were in the show. They were all in the mm, show. Except they were Rizomet's condensed. Co-director, so there was, was no walking well, to the podium. There, and they well, were, had an Dave, audience because there were Dave people just, like Jessica Chastain's in the room. Guillermo del Toro's in the room. Lots of people at, were in the room for these awards. And they were part of the show. At, a lot of, okay. As Dave, first of all, as Dave pointed out, the speeches were not shown in their entirety, sometimes cutting out entire presenters, which is something that happens on the live show when, you know, people want to speak and there isn't enough time for them. But it is not true that the speeches were shown unedited. Um, it is true that a lot of people were in the room during that hour. It's also true that a lot of those people were seat fillers. And then Jessica Chastain is a notable exception because she wanted to be there to support the makeup team that were obviously instrumental to her eventual win as best actress. Uh, Guillermo del Toro just has a, a love of movies. Wasn't Nicole Kidman He's not going to miss too? that. Um, Nicole Kidman was there, uh, there, but also honoring the prosthetic work that was done for her and being the Ricardos. Um, and the makeup team for, for that. So what? Team. They were there in the room but, for the awards. Great. Uh, the, um, I mean, there was also a lot of, you know, movie magic done to make it look like other people were in the room and matching reaction shots to celebrities who weren't with uh, live footage of. Have of you confirmed that? I saw you I tweeting mean, about this during the Oscars. I, I, and that, I, this is a little speculative on your part, I think. I don't You do think not know who was in the room. I would not bet my life on it, but I do not think it's speculative. Okay, I think okay. that uh, I there are enough celebrity, I be journalistically sound. There, there are enough celebrity cutaways that I saw to people I am very confident, pretty to very confident, were walking the red carpet at that time. They didn't time. cut to anyone dead, so that's how you know and I will say this. they were from um, the night. It wasn't the Sean event, Connery there in the front row. In the event that they were doing reaction shots that were actually happening to people who were in the room at that time, Everyone who edited the show should be fired because it was all so discombobulated, so awkward. Um, and that's true of how they integrated the speeches into the show to begin with, where um, the 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 reality breaking feel of eliminating the walks up to the stage and to the proper recognition of these these artisans um, it completely, you know, further threw off the rhythm and flow of a show that already had none to begin with. And I think if you weren't tapped into the stuff like we are it's possible you know you 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 wouldn't have known that they had filmed these awards in advance right and you would have just been so confused about how they were violating space and time in the way that i don't think so. even an unsophisticated <laughs> moviegoer who doesn't give a shit about how the sausage gets made if they see a poorly edited movie their brain is sending up red flags every five seconds it's, to being like no, it that's wasn't not that right. bad and it completely I, takes you out yeah. of the experience uh, I will say it was I, I, pretty. I want to say you know, and maybe I, I, well, actually, I'll, two things here. Uh, one, the perfect show would be much more boring and just let everyone walk to the stage and would just be the awards of people talking about movies. I want to say that, like, my ideal show is the most boring version of the Oscars where people just talk about movies. I will say, in the like swell of unnecessary outrage and controversy over this issue, I mean, to the. I understand where the crafts people were coming from. Like, let people be part of the show. But when the show that I saw, everyone was part of it. Like, I heard from the guy who did the short documentary that the New York Times won about uh, basketball. You know, like, I, I got that guy's soundbite. And then I also heard Jenny Bevin, the costume designer from Cruella, deliver an awful speech. Like, a rambling, not good speech Wait, that just went on and on. And I'm like, wonderful. her speech was not good. Mm. 
And I'm like, wait, one of the better speeches. I'm like, I like getting the sound bites from these people who are to Ruth. uh, Is it Ruth Carter, the costume designer from Black Panther, who presented? uh, Yes. Okay, so Ruth Carter comes on and fumbles lines and says, you know what? (laughs) I don't really like being on camera. This is not what I do. This is what actors do. And I was like, wait, yes, this is the grand theory. This is why you don't let all these people have like unfiltered space at the Oscars. You actually take their best sound bites and weave them in. It was really successful because someone like Jenny Bevan is just like killing time and making things so long and boring. And she's that, not an actress, and I, uh, and uh, I don't uh, think she can orient oh, that way boy. on live TV. And it wasn't good. And then I actually think that the controversial decision kind of paid off. It was the best part of a bad show. What was <laughs> badly produced? Hmm. The, the, this the... this move that they tried, it worked. Everything else they tried, I mean, it didn't work. How, there, how did but... it? Okay, so best case scenario, even if it didn't completely, you know, destabilize a show that was already flying off the rails. Um, <laughs> it's hard and to tell what that it, was impacting and ruining the show. I mean, but <laughs> the, in, in a way, the only way that it was the only way that it was seamless and of a whole with the rest of the show is that it felt like a train wreck, um, and I think would have been even far more jarring in a show that had some flow to it, but. Even, even if you thought it was a wonderful choice on aesthetic grounds, they saved fractions of a second and still ran 40 minutes long in the show. That, that so, is the baffling part, for sure. So I, and it's because all of the efforts that they, all the things they put into the show, all the things they made those cuts in order to fit into the show, I should say, were dreadful waste of time. And so uh, it's, it, it really can't, just can't makes you think, I, I really, there, it is indefensible to me that they went with this decision rather than just letting the people who are being honored from Dave. by he their said peers he at the me. top Dave, of their craft uh... to say their piece. They're going to be played <laughs> off anyway. So, What do you think? Do, uh, uh, yeah, doing them dirty, I mean, good I, or bad? It, I agree with your initial statement that like, ultimately what we're all looking for in an ideal situation is just the awards ceremony. Like That would be great. I would watch that. But I do see what you're saying. In that, in a world where the Oscar ceremony is not about honoring the movies, but about ticking off a certain number of boxes that make up Oscar ceremony while also getting a number of ratings. Yeah, why not? Everybody got fucked. Like, everybody got fucked. And so I just feel, I feel like they like picked that's... good clips for people, and I felt like the speeches were good because well, of the That of was the a party favor. That was, I mean, good clips of the speeches? Or good clips yeah, of the performances. Yeah, good, no, good clips of the pre-recorded speeches. I thought they were woven in. I thought they picked good sound bites, and that the editing. I don't. I don't agree with you. I don't think that they're like the multiverse of madness over here, jumping through portals to get people to stage magically or something. They were just. I mean, like, they were there, and then they were on stage, it, and then they I, said something I, I interesting. Already sound like a you know a broken record, but it really was emblematic of a show that that just had no flow um, and that just felt like chaos. It just felt like things being thrown at your face. Um, and then, you know, and then they eventually really made good on that. Uh, but um, were you I, happy with any of the winners, David, oh, of the, oh, of the whole Dave. night? Did any, did anything make you happy of winners of the movies? You said Dave, right? I was, pretty... no, no, David. Oh, maybe I'll maybe. just say, um, did, and then either of you. Well, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, not in a way that I think would surprise anybody. I was, I was very happy, obviously, that Ryosuke Hamaguchi won. I think um, oh, they tried know, to play I, him. As off. I, no, he, they did him dirty. Yeah, they, they sure did. Um, and as I said last night, I mean, if you told me a year ago that the director of Osaka One and Two and Happy Hour had made a three-hour 
uh, sort of downbeat drama about death and Chekhov and won an Oscar for it, I would have said, like, what, next you're going to tell me that the Flash entering the Speed Force is the greatest cheer moment of all time. Uh, and sure enough, <laughs> they did. Another winner that I was, of course, the very fans happy have about. Spoken. Um, uh, truly, uh, we were an hour away from this being the Flash entering the Speed Force Oscars until Will Smith had to take it back. But um, the uh, Jane Campion, inevitable, but her win I thought was very well deserved. Um, Troy Kotzer, I mean, I, I didn't really have a horse in the in the best supporting actor race. I mean, I think you know, there, there are actors from better films that were in that. I would have loved to see Jesse Plemons win. Um, but Troy Kotzer's performance is undeniable. His speech was so His moving. speech was so good. Um, His speech was so beautiful. Uh, Ariana DeBose, so good. Uh, and I have just been, while you guys were talking, I've been looking through the entire red carpet galleries to figure out who I thought was wearing the same dress. She wore a cape. And it turns out, uh, it turns out that Ariana DeBose and um, Tracy Ellis Ross were not wearing the same dress. They just had the same sort of uh red oh that top same, yeah the same like boob hugging red top um i didn't same, notice like, that kind top. of boob, design. Boob forward boob forward um but uh uh it was not the same dress um i'm sure there would have been stories about that if it were but uh ariana debose uh amazing in west side story and gave a really passionate speech that proved right at the start of the night after a great performance by beyonce which i thought was a really cool way of opening the show um, that it's a great song also, which is rare for a, uh, best original song contender. Um, it's a really good song and I thought the performance was, and it, it served, you know, pun intended kind served? of. Served? The, the, the oh. yeah, the film, um, and the Oscars, it all felt very holistic. She was dressed um, as a tennis ball, just to be clear. Yeah, but I, I thought it was a really cool performance, got the Oscars on a good, on, uh, started on a good note. And then Ariana DeBose reminded everybody that the show is at its best when it's people, talking you know in inspirational terms about the road they've traveled and what this means um to them Although they had a very weird camera setup this year it was like a ah, oh, it was almost oh, like a oh, longer oh, lens or like oh, having people passes. step forward and they were in a very a strange vortex of so winning. short focus close-ups with long lens i mean it was a disaster like, it all looked ironically to me after the years that we've had like everyone was standing in front of a zoom background and every iconic oscar shot we've ever seen is this sort of uh is a deeper uh is a, a deeper depth of field there's a sense of the magnitude of the moment of the space that the winners are inhabiting and here it felt like everybody was on the other end of a facetime uh it was very bizarre and discombobulated and um yeah i mean just you know served to the overall sense of none of this feels real of the night but but yeah i was happy for ariana debose to win um, I yeah, and what about a Dave? Lot of, Dave, Dave, what about I don't you? think I just just to end that thought. This is oh, the yeah. I I don't this aside from those winners. I think adding to my agony was that I I really can't remember the last time that so few uh nominees that I was really rooting for won. Um, so it was kind of a disappointing really? show in that regard too. Yeah, Who it was one to keep that for another. Uh, I mean, let's not, that that seems like he has an entire podcast to talk about <laughs> that year round who he's rooting <laughs> true, for true I, i'm gonna step in here to answer the question um i i kind of like the award distribution uh with the exception of like um all the dune awards sort of being front-loaded especially for those of us that were aware of uh, the awards at war at one pre-ceremony um it sort of really came out uh fast for dune but again that's like a balance 
in, in terms of the actual broadcast. I kind of like that we got a wider distribution than I was expecting. Uh, yeah, Coda ran away with all three of its nominations, but it's just like three and then Dune six and then everybody else sort of like jostled around with one. I think given that this wasn't a show that made me feel good about any of the movies, that it's nice to at least have like a, a distribution of reputable winners. I think like, I don't, I didn't dig the eyes of Tammy Faye performance as I think ever anybody else did, but it was interesting to have. Uh, I mean, that we have to... a distribution of winners. I mean, Frances McDormand winning for Nomadland is one thing, but I think generally best actress has really become the province of these flashy biopic performances in movies that are generally derided or that people are indifferent to. But isn't to. that becoming a bigger uh, trend across just like yeah, all the uh, well, Yeah, but Best Actress bears the wor- the brunt of it. And it was, um, I, I really mean no disrespect to Jessica Chastain, Chastain and the Eyes of Tammy Faye, a movie that I have not seen, I have managed to avoid. So uh, maybe it would be my favorite <laughs> performance of hers, I don't know. But uh, it's tough to see. She was in the Tree of Life. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, she's due, she's due, but, uh, uh, yeah, Olivia Coleman, uh, Penelope Cruz. I mean, uh, yeah, there are a lot of, there are, there are all good. And then the thing I did, the thing I just, I dislike about, or the thing I don't, that doesn't make me dislike Jessica Chastain getting awarded for this particular thing is that's a movie that she like made. She's like, I'm going to make this movie. I'm going to play this part. And she pulled it all the way through. And maybe she got awarded extra for that and for doing the ceremony uh, or for doing the uh, Oscar campaign thing. I feel yeah. like the Oscars sometimes are rewarding She's the, full, the full picture of it. Right. And, and uh, you know, Olivia Coleman has become an institution at the Oscars. Um, Penelope Cruz is such an institution in general that I think people kind of take her brilliance for granted. Uh, she and Jessica Chastain start together in America's favorite movie, The 355. Just a few months oh ago, God. so I guess they <laughs> were honored Peacock, by association. We should cover um, that finally. Oh, Patches, can we also talk about the Disneyfication? <laughs> Wait, I was show? about to get to that. No, don't jump ahead. I, I gotta okay, go. Well, I, 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 Patches had this, Patches had this nice I know. we were going down. I'm you're the, you're bringing say, the chaos uh, of the Oscars to my plan about this. I'm afraid I'm stepping on Patches' toes also, even trying to keep things on the subject which we're talking about in terms of happy about what winners and not what winners. I, I'm sure he has questions about CODA and Best Picture. I just want to say, you know, do I think CODA is a worthy Best Picture winner? And, and certainly among that crop of nominees, I, well, certainly not, not among that crop of nominees. Is worthy is, worthiness is um, a broad thing. But like, I, 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 I want to no. talk about CODA but, but a little later because it? I feel okay. like I CODA, say, I, I feel like CODA not, is a bigger... Like it's winning best picture is a right? different conversation. No, yeah, it, it, it will get there, but it ain't green. Oh book. man, there's so many people talking about Coda and Green Book in the same breath the last week or two, and it's driving me absolutely nuts. No, yeah, the one thing I was gonna say is I think Sean Hader is like, um, I just love people who are really happy to win their Oscar. Like, she looked really surprised. She looked really happy. Uh, Jane Campion looked really happy. I think it was like payoff for a lot of these people. And as you said, Ariana Debose. Uh, I I thought it was funny. Um, I mean, it is historic. First openly queer Oscar winner. Um, she used that exact phrase. I just thought, oh, we have a very Twitter uh, person winning an Oscar right now. Like, first openly queer winner. She referred to herself as that. I thought that was very interesting. She's 31. She was on a reality dance show. This is like the new wave of, of Oscars. Like, people who are very online. She's the first and, openly queer coming from woman lots of color. Of, 
the first openly queer woman okay. of color to win the Oscar. I don't believe that Fair. she is the first openly queer person. To okay, win that's the whatever. Oscar. Her historic moment. Uh, you know, I just thought it was interesting that she's like using the phrase that I see a lot um, in talking about the Oscars. It's like, uh, yes, the youth growing up with this stuff is like winning the Oscars, which is kind of cool. Um, but yes, now let's get back to things that are horrible about the Oscars. Um, and actually, West Side Story <laughs> is technically a segue here, although West Side Story winning anything is a positive. But Disneyification of the Oscars, to use your phrase, Dave, David, um, just what the fuck was going on? I mean, it, it, the Oscars have been on ABC for a century, I think. But last night, something was going on. I, and maybe it is we need to talk about Bruno becoming being touted as like the first live performance of this song that really was a, a phenomenon on on some level and then actually not delivering that at all and doing something weird and remixed and and awful um but then chris evans shows up and does an intro to a Lightyear trailer but oh, thanks a nominee after they won or was it troy kotzer yeah, like after yeah, troy he, kotzer won he said yeah, thank yeah, yeah. congratulations and here's Lightyear. <laughs> like what the fuck is going on I mean, I think Dave is the best qualified to talk about the synergy at work here and most invested in what's happening with Disney at large. But I just will say that it was repugnant and it felt like a three and a half hour Disney commercial. Uh, every I thought the Oscars couldn't break. air movie trailers. Or is that, well, they I guess they can now. Um, and if in the event that they can, I'm surprised that... I mean, I guess Disney holds the, the levers of power here, but right. I'm surprised that the other people aren't taking more advantage of that if they are, in fact, allowed to do so, if Disney is allowing them to do so, whatever. Uh, we did get a trailer for the Nicolas Cage movie, which uh, was oh, like the right. one that managed to squeak through. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just every commercial break was Hulu this and Hulu that and Disney and that awful Lightyear trailer. I mean... Not, I, I'm not saying the movie is bad or looks bad, but just like that was the way they wanted in this prime television real estate to set up this movie. That was made Amy no Schumer sense. dressed He's as like, Spider-Man synergy? Boy, corporate yes. synergy. I couldn't tell, Dave. No, because Disney Sony. Uh, doesn't own that Spider-Man costume. Yeah, but what's good uh, for the what's good for the Spider-Man is good for the Disney. I think is the, the superhero complex is Disney on some level. Yeah, I mean, the the only thing I think that, you know, Spider-Man No Way Home and the Oscars have in uh, common this year is the slight uptick in attendance is going to make everybody on the money side think that they did well. Like, uh, more people, they had, a, they had a bump up this, more people watched this. It, it, it was still the ceremony. second least watched Oscars ever. Um, yep. But it's weird to but think better than last year's. Uh, let's all hang like, out in I mean, a the, restaurant the, the, the and talk celebration... about movies. Uh, excuse me, an abandoned train station. And and the, um, the I think the crowing about the ratings, and I know you're not doing this so much as you're saying you're afraid that they're going to do this, but the crowing over the ratings boost from last year's Oscars to this year's Oscars is like touting a movie's box office or a weekend at the box office in 2022 as being better than the comparable weekend in 2021. It's like the elephant in the room is uh, being shown out the back door. And everyone is conveniently ignoring the reality of it. They could have shown a black screen with white text on it for three hours, and it would have gotten better ratings than last year's show did. So, you know, nobody should be slapping themselves in the back. Well, either way, uh, this is Bob Bob Chapek, Bob 2. Uh, he's in control at Disney now, and he's pinching all the pennies. 
This is one of uh, several examples. If you pull up anything about Disney, from its political donations in Florida to how it's treating its own LGBTQ uh, members uh, and, you know, to how it's monetizing going to Disneyland and being able to buy your way onto lines. Uh, Disney's in lots of trouble right now. And it's really funny that they seem to, as a company, be um, absolutely incapable of not self-owning themselves. Like, they don't need to be doing any of this. But here they are. Right. It's when you get too uh, just big, like, you can't help but self-own. There's too well, many I mean, parts. But we, so, we saw Bob Iger acquiring all these things, and we just side-eyed it, but then, you know, kept going to Marvel and Pixar movies and kept going to the parks, and the cruises made billions of dollars, and everything was, like, fine. There's a way to run this gigantic corporation that's a little bit more under the radar. It's just amazing to me how much this corporation is... Yeah. Uh, sideshow Bob stepping on the rakes. The, the one thing that uh, irritated me about this kind of Disney vacation is, and this is something that um, Phil Lord, uh, producer of Mitchell's versus Machines, was talking a bit about on Twitter or something a few weeks ago. But uh, in advertising for the Oscars, there were a lot of clips of the Disney-owned movies, including Encanto. And it makes sense. Encanto is huge. It is very, very popular. And if you want to sell the Oscars... You should probably put Encanto in your, your like sizzle reel packages and TV ads or whatever. That said, like it is not Encanto's animation award to win, and people pointed this out last night, and it really made me gnash my teeth when they were introducing the best animated category after tons of lead up that's like kissing Encanto's ass. From the we need to talk about Bruno performance to the other song in Encanto that was performed, and then you're giving out the animation Oscar. And the introduction is all about how, like, we love animated films, showing our, our kids animated films and, like, watching them as kids, and we treasure those moments as kids. And it's like, fucking Flea is nominated for the best animated... Yeah, my, my five-year-old loves Flea. Um, they'll, they'll never forget watching Flea. Uh, She's always asking like, to watch Flea, and I'm like, Flea again? I'm so oh. tired of this narrative. I have all the songs from Flea memorized. Um, but just like it's such talking down bullshit in a way that is extremely Disney and like compartmentalizing all of these bits of their business um, and, and living and breathing the Disney identity about everything. was. But, and that speaks to what I was talking about, about like, you know, it's been a long running bit and, and unfortunately not just a bit that American Americans, the American film industry thinks of animation as being purely the, the domain of kids content um and the rest of the world refutes that on an annual basis but uh i think they are well will packer produced this and will packer is a really successful movie producer who packages things for mass audience but then and it's like but but we have people producing the oscars who are not uh, who don't love movies they love packaging movies they love entertaining audiences it's the fans <sighs> versus critics all over again this it, is it, it really it's, is it and be. i and i understand that that the Oscars can't be the New York Film Critics Circle Awards dinner. I mean, they can't just be a series. Although, of, it's, uh, isn't it trending more that way as the as the Academy voters are become more international? Well, no, the like, I mean, like the the like, nominees are trending, and that there is some convergence yeah. there. But um, you know, the nature of the show is going to be a little bit different. I wonder um, if that's and the I get clash. That. I, I want I the... want to bring. I want. Do you to think bring the nominees people... are becoming more sophisticated as hey, the don't don't show get me off track? I, I want down. to. <laughs> well, okay. I I want to bring more people into the tent. 
I, I want to make more people remember why they love movies and especially going to movies and not giving the top cheer moment ever to a movie that never screens in movie theaters. But, uh, the, um, but like, uh, like the, the way that they presented the Godfather tribute, for example, is it's, it's not the idea of, of opening the tent that bothers me. It's how they did it. It's the fact that you had How did Diddy such... get more words in about the Godfather yeah. than De Niro I mean, you or has... Pacino? You such a, a fear, such a like, sort of patronizing sense of what people's attention span is and what they care about and what's important. It's all about stimuli. It's not actually about honoring any of this stuff in a meaningful way. And you, so you tout having this Godfather 50th anniversary reunion and the, they come on stage. They're there for about eight seconds. They say absolutely nothing of substance. The clip reel is scored to like an absurd remix of uh, the Godfather theme or whatever the fuck it was. And then everybody's brushed off stage. And it felt the same with the James Bond presentation, which was completely fucked from the moment they announced you know, who was going to be presenting it. Uh, James Bond, our, famously our favorite X game athlete. Um, you know, I don't want... I, the last thing I think a lot of people want, who want the Oscars and movies in general to have a greater sort of primacy in, in American culture, is for it to regress into the stuffy and predominantly white domain of Oscars past. But- but that's why I th- the Tony Hawk bit about James Bond, good idea, actually, if Tony Hawk really loves James Bond. Clearly, they just got a bunch of, like, X-game athlete types but like, to come on and, like, make a, a, a tenuous connection to stunts, I suppose. But it didn't but feel like... If, if Tony Hawk feel loved like... James Bond, that would be cool, because you could get someone on stage to really talk about what they love. It would be cool to get people from lots of different realms talking about why movies mattered to them or when they saw this x y and z like that would be neat yeah, absolutely. but if it's just like but they didn't uh, have time for that because they were just like, throwing shit at the wall um, favorite action movies from x games athletes <laughs> i mean they made you know we, we what you lost in five minutes of a performance of a song that was not nominated for an oscar which is basically unprecedented at the show as far as i can remember um is is everything i mean it's like opportunities for all these things um so and, and then you know, Will Packer sensibly knows how to structure a movie. He knows what audiences look for. He knows how to set things up and, and knock them down. And yet, rookie-level fumbles, like not having the Billie Eilish performance part of the celebrating James Bond package. I mean, it's just like, now we're doing this, and now we're over here, and now we're doing this. There was just no sense of build to the show. There was no sense of flow. I saw it also in the design of the audience, of the, the way that the um, seating was arranged, which uh you know was was sort of a half measure away from what they did last year with the all informal seating um but now you had it, it was like the people in the front who were essentially most involved in the show were sort of like on lazy boys or like <laughs> lounging on chairs and like they all got the adam mckay chair yeah i mean it was just i just like it just uh, it it just it really felt like the people involved that it was Reed, all David. about it was breathe, all breathe. about. <laughs> it's hard as somebody who <laughs> doesn't. I don't. I, I'm not an Oscar person, first and foremost. Hold on, David. Do... Hold on. Let me ask an important question what? to Dave. Dave, yeah. were, was Amy Schumer, Regina Hall, and Wanda like, were they funny? Was it? Was that part fun? Hmm. No, not really. <laughs> but they all wanted to have sex That's with the not... different nominees. They're horny. Just like, just like weird, weird choices. Yeah. If you were to have like, I mean, 
I don't want to be like, you could just compare gender comedy like that, but I would have felt equally as bad about, like, here's the three men from Three Men and a Baby, and they get up and they're like, oh, that Kim Basinger, I hear she's signal right now, let's bring her up on stage and frisk her for COVID. I feel like we would have the exact same reaction, you know? It's just yeah. bad, bad, uh, bad producing, I mean, the, that bad Regina writing. Regina Hall bit was, was very bad, but we love Regina Ooh. Hall first and foremost, and second of all, there have been similar bits to that, uh, obviously not in the context of COVID, but there are bits that bad every year. And so I don't yeah. think I don't think that's on Regina Hall or Oh no, I don't think so. I don't think it's on any of them. They w- came out and they performed I think pretty much two script. Uh, I actually thought they were really that. I thought their intro was funny when they were just making jokes. I really it, it started to devolve and unravel because to your point David, I do not get why the Oscars could be really stupid. Like Ben Stiller walks out dressed as a Navi. Okay. I mean Silly, but I'll 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 giggle. I like Avatar. Um, but when you're like hating on the movies, the mean spirit of of the jokes that it became like a roast. And it we'll get to this too. But like roasting Will Smith and Jada like in the front row about their open marriage and stuff. I'm like, what? Is, this is icky. Like everything is is gross about the Oscars for some reason. Can't you? Well, make, I mean, I aren't think there that's... jokes to be made about like why the movies are? Silly, like not to. I, mean, I, I guess I'm putting uh, Billy Crystal on a pedestal here. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't think Billy Crystal would have been the right host uh, either. But I no. think that um, you know, it, it is. Uh, it might be too precious about this, and I think that there's definitely room, you know, to making fun about all these things. I mean, and, and of course, you know, my personal taste has a lot to do with it. I was laughing hysterically at Amy Schumer's joke about. Uh, Adam McKay not looking up the reviews of, <laughs> or the Oscar voters not looking up the reviews of Don't Look Up. Uh, but um, while, while I took issue with uh, similar jokes made at the expense of better movies. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's like now more than ever, uh, the movies now more than ever, we, the, the, it is a time when the industry shouldn't be standing around in a circle and kicking itself while it's down. I mean, like they... <sighs> The idea of Ridley Scott making a an a hundred plus million dollar uh, medieval epic that flatlined to the box office, like we should be celebrating the fact that he got away with actually getting that to the big screen, and not that nobody went to see it in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, I I don't know. It's like that. I, it, but is the problem that people aren't watching any of these movies? Like, I don't know if that's on Schumer, Regina Hall, and Wanda Sykes, but like. You have and Wanda Sykes people. is personally responsible for why the last duel failed at the box office. No, no, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> are, if you have to make jokes about movies that the audience, a, a large portion of the audience, probably haven't seen. But like, if the Oscars gets the last treated, duel joke, but that's a, no that's exactly it. what I'm talking about. Is that okay? Good point because they are making fun of a joke that, by definition, a movie rather than like by definition, nobody saw. But you know that more people saw even something that may not have the most mainstream appeal like The Power of the Dog by virtue of the fact that it was nominated for Best Picture and it's on Netflix. Um, they need to treat those movies. Drive My Car, uh, not a movie I would have ever imagined was in the Best Picture combination, a conversation, thrilled that it was. They need to treat those movies with the respect that they deserve. They need to push the audience who don't give movies like that the time of day to aspirationally want to check them out, to, uh, you know, Imagine a world for three and a half hours where you can talk about the power of the dog on ABC in primetime on a Sunday night and people will know what you're talking about. 
Like that, it, it should, the template should be, this is what, that world we, ever this is what we consider we movies. The Oscars have never I mean, been that, uh, right? I think the, I think the cognitive dissonance that uh, David's getting at is they can adapt to Amy Schumer being like, oh, the mood's changed in here since I last came. Did anything happen while I was changing out of my Spider-Man costume? But when it comes to making fun of movies, they can't make a, a Flash entering the Speed Force joke. Like, those are the movies that we should be making fun of if yeah, we're bringing them up at all. that's what I was going to say. Like, make fun of Spider-Man No, uh, no Way Home. Yes, like, absolutely. punch up yeah. to these big, yeah. dumb blockbusters and then be like, but there's also good movies, and we're going to spend time talking about those tonight. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, the I, whole like, idea is it's you're ridiculous the best Army, of the Army, art form. The, even if they, yeah, the I, Army of they the fall dead short of that a lot. Got, like, a 20-second clip, and nobody said anything. So many things I that, like... So many, so many things weird about this. Two Snyder wins and not a mention in the ceremony. My God! Yeah, so many of these, so many of these things, I had to be watching on Twitter just to make sure I hadn't been going insane because I swore I saw something and then people just continued like it didn't happen. I just, uh, maybe that one thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I I bear no ill will towards Will Packer, who was put in an impossible situation. This is a lose lose scenario. There is nobody who produces the Oscars who comes out of it. Seeming like a hero. The Oscars is it's the all Kobayashi about, like, Maru of producing. It really, I mean, it's all it's all just about sort of mitigating whatever level of disaster you're you're inheriting. Um, and I, I'm sure he is a wonderful human being. Some of the movies that he's produced, I found very funny. Um, Girls Trip, yes. Uh, Night School, no. But nobody bats a hundred uh, or a thousand. I guess baseball, not my sport. Um, but the uh, but he is philosophically. And this, I'm sure, was part of partially the mandate, and more than partially the mandate of ABC. But a populist, I mean, he's trying to make a show that is at odds with what the Oscars represent. The reverence for film that the Oscars have always been good at generating, whether deserved or not, with a broadening sense of of what is important in a modern sense. Um, and he, I think, overcorrected in terms of just trying to make it as he made the most I mean, popular just, oscar version of the oscar basically. the the award he, the theoretical most popular award he did it as the whole show yeah i don't know i mean it's the what abc wanted out of the show and what somebody who is the box office mastery and the multiplex appeal that will packer brings to the table got is just um at odds with the oscar should be do you think do you think now that the uh, the wall has been broken down, Coda won Best Picture for Apple TV Plus. Uh, Netflix has been spending so many millions of dollars for years and years trying to be the first streaming service to win Best Picture, and Apple Apple just did it. Um, but Netflix will win eventually. Do you think streaming dominating the Oscars is actually good for the Oscars because more people will potentially have seen those movies or do you think like are we can can streaming the streaming of it all help reach this middle ground between hey more people are seeing the movies and the movies are more diverse but we're also bringing new people into the tent like could they become more important because of streaming i think so i'm gonna i'm gonna fall in that maybe trap but like there is at least four people the access that used to be, uh, you know, the TBS movies or whatnot, 
the capability of just turning on something to a movie channel and seeing a movie and there being commercials that now has transitioned for, I feel like most of the populace into opening the streaming service and clicking on something that's in the streaming service that sucks in the way that I think streaming services are actually worse at curating your experience towards what it needs to be. But if what it needs is something like the Oscars kicking it into shape, I think that there is some middle ground between Disney owning fucking everything and only promoting Disney movies and these streamers actually having Best Picture nominees on them. Uh, I don't know if I feel good about the direction that's going in, but I do think it's possible that, you know, like when we started this podcast, we're like the middle grade a uh, blockbuster for adults is going to disappear. And that happened. And they moved over to streaming services and got very scarce. But well, they now became 10 part television shows, uh, miniseries that now get Emmy sure. instead of Oscar. But I mean, either way, the. the it, it didn't end up making it not accessible. It just ended up making it like a different type of accessible because I still think more people that were have ended up seeing power of the dog than if it had done like an art house run and then, you know, went to blockbuster video or something. Like, I do think we're living in a world where more people are going to click on another Benedict Cumberbatch movie after watching no way home and end up with power of the dog, whether that's good or bad to the overall perception of it. I honestly don't know, but I do think maybe that's the only silver lining. Well, in this situation, I mean, Coda was the first movie to ever premiere at Sundance to win Best Picture uh, in the 40 years that festival has been going on. And while the conversations every year after a Sundance premiere about this and that performance being, uh, you know, look for that in the Oscar race or like, you know, Mm. is Richard Jenkins going to win an Oscar for The Visitor? Like breathlessly. After the premiere of that movie, I don't know why that was my go-to example. That, I, but, that's uh, a great poll. That, that is a great movie. That is a great movie. But uh, that conversation is only going to get more insufferable in the wake of Coda winning. But if it helps to restore interest in, in indies, if it helps well, to draw, I mean, you know, you bring touched focus, on this a little see earlier. the potential in those movies, then that could translate to those movies actually having theatrical runs before. Because remember... Um, you know, we were in the middle of pandemic when Coda premiered at Sundance, and had we not been in the middle of pandemic, I would imagine that Apple would have given that movie uh, a solid-ish by twenty twenty-one standards theatrical run. You you touched on this a little earlier, but do you think there's a risk of studios losing complete interest in making the Oscar movie in the future? Like, I mean, it, if the Oscars don't get themselves into shape. And, and make, I mean, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to put too much weight on it, but I, it is the the most obvious incentive that um, mini major studios ma- yeah. and like middle budget movies not only have to be good, but to exist um, and to exist as something more than Netflix content, even if that's you know why some of them end up getting made or where some of them end up. Uh, but it, you know, it is a mechanism that self importance that we deride every year in the Oscars is. I think need part of the fuel that leads to good movies in right. the Hollywood system. So short of the whole system breaking down, which may not be the worst thing in the world and, um, you know, being sort of more democratized, uh, I think this is important. It's important that people care about the stuff because otherwise 
you know, it's all just going to be gristle, you know, grist for the mill. Um, and that's a shame. And I think, uh, you know, it works out well in a movie that was made like Coda that was, that was made, uh, without as an independent film. I mean, it had a lot of muscle behind it. It had some Oscar winning producers on board. Um, and, but it was still, you know, a difficult movie to get made, a difficult movie to get funded with that cast. And then it premieres at Sundance where it's rapturously received and that, and then Apple splashes in. I mean, it's like, yeah, the system kind of works. Uh, but I, I don't, I, I don't think that there are going to be too many negative repercussions of Coda winning in terms of, uh, of like a streamer. It was inevitable. Oh, that that's, I'm not, I'm it. not suggesting that I'm suggesting that if the Oscars cannot continue to be important, if they continue to lose, oh glow, yeah, that they will that that winning an Oscar will become pointless, and then making movies that could win Oscars pointless. Even I think for Netflix, too much money. Netflix seems to be trending away from doing Power of the Dog. Type. Uh, there's there's too much money really? to be had in uh, not promoting something for the Oscars. They'll promote absolute shit. Like everything, every studio will be promoting a Spider Man No Way Home before the Oscar like race of trying to get a winner uh, dies down because uh, Hollywood will uh, buy into any system that they have the modicum amount of control over, which is what I think a lot of the flailing of this year's ceremony is, is we're coming out of, you know, pandemic and, well, it's still in a pandemic. And uh, nobody has figured out how the theatrical movies are going to uh, recover from this. So it seems uh, like I I doubt that they're going to give it up because it's going to be a life raft. Like, even if this is one of the lowest watched award shows in, uh, you know, a year's worth of television, they're still going to be doing it because if they can make an extra hundred thousand dollars somewhere, they're going to want that extra hundred thousand dollars. And I mean, and it's particularly important to the smaller films. I mean, without the Oscars, um, even though, I mean, Drive My Gar is an interesting example because all of the major critics groups lined up behind it, which rarely happens. But, uh, you know, a movie like Flea, a movie like Drive My Car, I mean, these movies don't get the support behind them. And they certainly don't get the almost name brand recognition um, that they achieve by the end of the award season, if not for that mechanism. And so, you know, for Ryosuke Hamaguchi, a filmmaker who is not out there making movies uh, with that, that seem to have, you know, obvious appeal to the American marketplace. Broad Western appeal. Um, yeah, yeah, are are suddenly, you know, having their profile rise dramatically. Um, and his next movie could be another five hour movie about four middle aged women um, talking about the trials and travails of their, their lives. And it would still be guaranteed American distribution on a pretty wide level. And that is awesome. Um, and that movie could also, I mean, John McCarr could also be a gateway to people uh, into Japanese cinema. Um, and, you know, it's, and Flea is telling a really important story. It's showing people, you know, per your point earlier, that animation is more than just Encanto. Uh, it's, um, I mean, these things are are positive. Uh, and I think also Hollywood just like, you know, Art in general and a business built around it relies too much on ego and self-importance to let this pageantry <laughs> entirely go by the wayside. And I think the best thing to do is just harness it in a positive way. Um, and which is why I'm so mad about the show, because it's just it's their best opportunity to remind the world why the movies are important collectively. 
And the entire theme of the show was movies are not that important. And that just pisses me off. Ego. Like bra- embrace uh, the self-importance. That's that's exactly it. Just like double down on that shit. You get one night where no one's gonna hold it against you. Well, I, I'm going through my list of topics here. Uh, I think we got it pretty <laughs> covered. Um, oh wait, Will Smith slapped Chris Rock in the mm-hmm. face during yep. the Oscars. Uh, yeah, I mean, we have managed to have a wonderful conversation about movies and the Oscars and. Uh, except this entire ceremony will be forever eclipsed by like five seconds of Will Smith slapping Chris Rock, uh, talking about ego, self importance on some level, maybe. But I don't know. I, I don't know what to say about the last like 24 hours of watching. The, uh, my, I found it really chilling. Like, I had this weird yeah. psychic energy blast that hit me off of my television. I was totally disturbed. By the moment, and I couldn't make sense of anything, and nothing was the same. Like, uh, maybe 30 minutes more of the show happened. Jessica Chastain won the award. We mentioned Coda won Best Picture. We were thinking about it and talking about it all week, and then it didn't really matter because Will Smith slapped someone. Um, and it's weird. It's all very strange. I, yep. I mean, Will Smith is a very strange man. I think that the. I remember during After Earth, and he was into like world religions and. I mean, I don't think it's been, it's a secret that he's a little eccentric for someone who is so universally popular um, and has had a sort of nice guy reputation for so long. Even he is, uh, and there have been articles written to this effect that that, uh, recently has been the context of King Richard and this relative to his other roles, more challenging role that he has turned down a lot of. Um, high-profile films, The Matrix, Django Unchained, anything that would threaten his image as sort of a valorous hero type. Um, and he himself, I think in the article that I'm referencing, has sort of attributed that to a need to be liked, to sort of uh, the cowardice that can come from that. Um, he's been mega famous for almost as long as we've been alive, um, at a level that it's kind of hard to comprehend. He's larger than life. Uh, his marriage has kind of become an open book. Well, he's to a kind certain of morphed. Degree. Him and Jada have kind of morphed into reality stars. Yeah, like Jada Smith has read Table Talk, and Will Smith is all over YouTube and like doing collabs with with YouTube stars, and like they're kind of entering just, the reality phase of their of their careers in a strange way. And, and I did, my inclination television. though was just like the reality of it exactly. Like I. The, everyone on Twitter, they're instantly going to these places of like trying to read this on a sociological level and like really <laughs> trying to, to fit it into the, the meshwork of uh, American life and Western civilization and what it means. And I think there are valid avenues of thought to be had there um, in terms of why it's acceptable, why it's not acceptable, like what it means when, um, you know, if it would be different if it was uh, two, uh, two white men involved in this and like what or is projected onto it. And you had that Judd Apatow tweet and so on. Um, but what was the Judd I, Apatow tweet? What that he, the he, Judd he, Apatow he, tweet was he just like, killed him. he could have killed him. It was a lot of like, wow. I, 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 I don't know if I mean, listen, I, I, I don't know what Judd Apatow meant by it consciously or not, but it was definitely invoking some racial image about uh, or some racial imagery. Um, that is more than a little retrograde. And I think he recognized that and is probably why he deleted it. He was also called out by a zillion people. But um, the, 
aside from that, what I'm saying is that my first takeaway was really just about this one human being in this moment and just like seeing someone do something shocking and and thinking about what his individual mental state must be, like what it says about where he is in his journey as a human being yeah. uh, and the pain in his eyes when he was crying on stage, recognizing that he had just sullied the proudest moment of his Good career. Act. That he had, you know, boy, that he had, uh, he was, he knew immediately in the interim between when he slapped Chris Rock and when he accepted Best Actor that this would be, you know, part of the first paragraph of his obituary, that this would be the only thing that people remembered from these Oscars, that it would forever be not an asterisk next to his Oscar, which he won fair and square, <laughs> but it would always be what people wow. sort of, um, no, I'm just I just think that I like, mean no I, I think David's right. My right? my first my first uh reaction to it, and I think the one that's gonna stick with me is Will Smith is not okay. Like yeah. there's something there's something Who wrong with that? Will Smith that Yeah. I mean that's the thing. Like he like David was saying, he's been famous for as long as we've been alive, basically. There's no way that this was that level of he's gonna crack and do it like so there are psychological pressures on will smith and that i'm sure i'm not aware about because even the ones that i am aware about make me worried for that man's <laughs> mental health there's just a different calculus at work in his head in this moment you have to think because yes there there is apparently some beef between he and chris rock chris rock had made a joke at jada's expense in the past and will smith may not have been you know, positively inclined towards him already Going into this moment, and then like there's Will Smith hated Will Smith. spiral from the book. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. He hated the book. Of Saw. Oh, Wanted yeah. to keep the book of spiral closed forever. Um, but he the book of Saw closed forever. Sorry, but um, and he kind of laughed off the joke, and then he saw that Jada did not take it well, and he took it upon himself to to get revenge. But like the calculus of choosing to, even in the heat of the moment when he's turning red and his blood is boiling, get up in the middle of the Oscars and go up to the podium and hit the person presenting best documentary. I mean, and then the, turn around, rebutton your jacket yeah. and walk back to your seat. It's, it's, it's just, you can't put yourself in that mindset. I don't think, I don't think any of us have the capacity to understand what he's thinking in that moment. And, and that is even before you consider that we don't really know what's happening in his personal life. Um, I, I mean, yeah, it definitely made me think of like the levees an actor must build to survive. I think and, I think that part of the reason why all the takes were so business. broad and so immediately about archetypes and and the greater tensions in America, and, and you're know, talking about domestic abuse and and so on was was because it was so imp- impenetrable in a way, like it was so inexplicable. Um, the joke was bad i mean it was unfunny in that like a gi jane joke first of all it's like not much of a joke like she's a bald woman like gi jane was also a bald woman um (laughs) like that's uh taking away you know the alopecia of it all i mean it was like that's not it's not good writing it's not what you would should pass muster from one of the great and by reported accounts it was an off-the-cuff unscripted yeah yeah yeah. and and it felt and then but it's not a good joke i don't think I mean, I am not Will Smith. I am not Jada Pinkett Smith. To my ears, does not feel like a particularly offensive joke. And the most offensive part about it is it's not funny. Um, but like, 
you know, I, I, it doesn't seem to be made with hurtful intent. It is kind of rude to call out. She's sensitive about it. She's been outspoken about it. But I think on that stage to point focus at somebody's insecurity or something, you know, it's, it's unkind, but, uh, it was just unnecessary. And I mean, what a weird fucking thing. And then of course the shame of like, it was also the culmination of a very mean Oscars. Uh, yeah, to, I mean, it, part of the grand theory here, it's just like, I was already feeling gross, and then someone said yeah. something gross. It was There's just so many jokes about the way people look in that ceremony, and then Rock and it's like, drops that one, a terrible and joke. It's and it's the and, irony of the whole Oscar theme being, let's not focus on movies, let's, let's focus as much on everything else as possible, besides the craft and the art and the power of the, these things, these collaborations that require so much effort that are made. And then the moment that breaks the show distracts from that completely and forever. I mean, it's like the Oscars got exactly what they wanted. Um, and it was a monkey's paw that cursed them to hell. Um, and then you have Questlove's beautiful speech about Tremendous. the Summer of Soul being overshadowed. Um, and just I will Chastain say someone made a very a funny nice tweet that uh, Will Smith slapping someone and then Questlove winning an Oscar is the most Philly thing that will ever happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, uh, yeah. Oscar history, and I really appreciate it. I mean, I think, I think Patches, that what you said is really the only context I find interesting or that I feel qualified to talk about. It's just like what it represented in the bubble of this award show. Um, because... Everything else beyond that is too big. There will be, you know, there will be think pieces. There already have been both smart and stupid um, that will try and place it in a greater framework. Uh, and some will be rewarding for following it down that road. But I, I think that it's just, it felt like it was sort of par for the, like the only logical conclusion in its own weird way to the show that they had been making so far. Dave, does it change your opinion about Will Smith? No, Will Smith was always untrustworthy. I don't know if I mean you and I. He's bonded an actor. Over he could be film. playing anyone. You and I bonded over the film he forced his son to make that was an entire Scientology metaphor, which they've now abandoned because, of course, that was one of the most unpopular things about them. Uh, yeah, I don't. I, the Smith family, um, lots of reaping and sowing going on these days. Yeah, it was it was yeah. strange to uh, to loop all the way back to the beginning. Uh, I did have to keep tabs on our co-host Katie uh, throughout the evening because she took some good grams um, and put them out there of, of the Vanity Fair party. Will Smith showed up to the Vanity Fair party, um, and and Katie and Co recount this on Low Gold Men uh, on their show. So go listen to that. But um, like Will Smith slaps Chris Rock, sits down smiles, continues on with the show, wins an Oscar, gives a speech where he doesn't quite apologize. I think his exact words God made like, him do it. Yeah, <laughs> he kind of tried to connect the dots between him and Richard Williams, which is uh, a move. It's a flex. Um, and then he proceeds to go to the Vanity Fair party and sing Will Smith jams uh, and dance with his Oscar and just like have a great night. Uh, I, I, I guess that's outside the scope, the, but like, it's surreal. The The, the... I think there was a lot of quick thinking and and genuine emotion and uh, cleverness that went into his speech. Um, I, a lot of people 
were really put off by it. Um, I guess I kind of was too by certain bits, but like I, I was still, given the circumstances, impressed by how much he was able to um, make a compelling political case for what had happened um, in that moment. But yeah, I, I was really put off by the first words out of his mouth when he got up there about basically, yeah, like, God made me do it. God works in mysterious ways. Like, I, you know, I'm doing this to defend my family. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, that is kind of, uh, it, it smacks of, it, like, it, big, it, 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 I'm, it, it, I'm famous and rich, and therefore God must love me and whatever I'm doing is right energy. It's, it's tone deaf is what you're looking for, because he's like, <laughs> here, I'm... I won an Oscar for portraying this man who gave it all to get his daughters to be like the preeminent sports stars in their field, despite the fact that they are black. And he's like, and I've done similar things protecting my family from Chris Rock jokes. Not the same thing. You, I think he took both Christianity and uh, protecting black women and used them as flat cover, uh, which is not responsible. So again, my number one takeaway from all this is I don't think Will Smith is okay. Someone should get Will Smith help. He needs some help. It seems very uh, possible in the in the coming weeks that that will uh, that will happen. He has since the Oscar night put up an actual apology to Chris Rock, to the Williams family, to the Academy. Even the Academy. <laughs> said that they're investigating the situation. I don't know what the action they would take there would be if they would ever, like, take his Oscar away or kick him out of the Academy. That would be pretty wild. Um, it's hard to imagine. I feel like this is just going to get kind of brushed under the rug. I do wonder if people will... Like, will it shade Will Smith's career going forward? Are we always going to be talking about the time Will Smith slapped Chris Rock? Or is there is there going to be like a rehab thing in the future? I mean, we don't have to speculate about that. It's just an interesting... Yeah. I don't know. So much psychic I, in- energy just blasted out of this moment. That, if um, I were a betting it's, man... It's so fascinating. Um, if I were a betting man, I would say that Will Smith... Bad Boys 4? Um, yeah, I don't... I just... I, I think that it's on he sketch. will be okay. B4A. He is too savvy. Um... And too big a star, and now he is the most, you know, is is the person that everybody's talking about, and uh, I don't think he is going to have a lot of trouble He's finding ways to live around this. I mean, I think it's very similar, kind of, to what t- where Tom Cruise was in his Couch Jumping Era. I'm not the first person to make that ah. comparison, um, and so it may sting him for a couple of years, but I think he when he will rise again. Um, he just needs to jump if, out of a plane or something. And if this means that he, I don't know if this is the answer, I mean, he may end up going the other way and only make the biggest possible movies, but if this does mean that he needs to pivot further into smaller movies that allow him to have his heart in his, on his sleeve and play emotionally accessible characters um, who are not larger than life, um, that could be interesting. I don't know. Hmm. Well. He'll be fine. The Oscars. I love him. I love the Oscars. I love to watch them. And I just wish they could be simple again. I really just want simplicity. Last night's, this this week's ceremony, I I, I can't say it was bad. It was just, to your point, David, like pure chaos. And it's not, it's like overcompensating in a weird way. Like, just in our business, in our business, I was just having this conversation with someone who was like, 
I don't know. You're really taking some big swings in your article here. You think the audience is going to stick with you, the readers? I'm like, it's really about the headline on some level. Like, they either get it or they don't. It doesn't matter what we do when they've shown up. They're already reading it, right? Like, why do the Oscars have to overcompensate so hard? They need to make the Oscars important. And it doesn't matter what they do in the boring-ass ceremony. It needs to mean something. Why do we talk about what the Oscars are doing? Just trust. Have a, a minimum trace of trust that the people watching the show might be inspired to care about movies or like them at all um or might be watching we're not talking about the producers at one point in their lives saw a movie that they like um so (laughs) i you know i think that uh that feeling was missing from the show uh it could have been an award show honoring literally anything um (laughs) and uh it it, a lot of grammys energy um I think you're hearing a lot of like generalized frustration about the way that people treat the uh, the movies, uh, but the Oscars should be the last place to um, trigger that kind of anger. So that's it sucks and it's frustrating. And hopefully they will learn at least one of the right lessons going into next year. I think it's probably too much to hope for a complete course correction, but you know we'll see what happens. Gen Z kids who listen to Fighting in the War Room. When you become a studio executive, when you rise to power and eventually produce the Oscars, remember these lessons. We're telling you now. All right, that's going to do it for what I thought would be a short episode. But man, damn you, Oscars. Uh, Katie's going to be back next week. We're all going to be back talking about uh, things that uh, appreciate movies and television and pop culture, I'm sure. Until then, where can people find more of you around the internet? I'm at Patches. I'm the deputy editor of Polygon.com. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And remember, we have a website, FightingInTheWarRoom.com. I'm sure we've talked about the Oscars every year since almost 2011. So if you want to like some old Oscar talk, maybe we were more hopeful in 2013 or 2014. I seem to remember it was zero glowing reviews, but you go back and check for yourself. Have the Oscars been good since we started this podcast? <laughs> Who can say? I love the Oscars when they like walk like a bunch of actors or old actresses came up on stage and like talked about the nominees. Remember when it was that boring and just reverence? I don't Can't they do that again? I'm sure we enjoyed that ceremony. Um... Anyway, Matt Patch is fighting Norman. Uh, David Ehrlich. I'm at David Ehrlich. Uh, you can find me on Twitter there and on the IndieWire writing about movies uh, this week, none of which I think will ever be nominated for anything. Um, you can find all of us together on iTunes at Fighting in the War Room. Leave us a review. Uh, we'll read it live on the show, or you can email us. That's right, at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can follow me on Twitter at DA7E. You can also listen to my other arguing podcast. It's called Trial by Content with Joanne Robinson and Neil Miller. That's wherever fantastic podcasts we found. While you're adding podcasts, make sure to check out Katie Rich on Little Gold Men with her instant Oscar reactions. If this wasn't enough for you, she is also producing the Still Watching podcast over there, which is covering tech shows. You can follow her on Twitter at K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. That's Katie Rich on Twitter. And if you want to follow us all, you can follow us all at F-I-T-W-R. That's also on Twitter. And answer this week's lightning round question, which was in honor of Morbius, what familiar franchise is in need of a Jared Leto spinoff? 
not Tron because apparently that might still be happening. Uh, if you do Tron, you have to Photoshop a Tron poster for us. That's my amending for the rule. We'll be back talking to you next week. Thanks for listening.